Hello, friends. My name is Aliza Kelly. I'm a celebrity astrologer, three-time author, and host of this podcast, Stars Like Us. Think of Stars Like Us as your favorite nighttime talk show that just so happens to be released every Monday morning. Each week, we connect with another amazing expert guest, and together we talk about everything under the sun. But before we get into today's episode, take a moment to rate this podcast five stars. Why? Because you're the fucking best. All right, now let's do it. Sit back, relax, and get ready for another out-of-this-world conversation. This is Stars Like Us. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Stars Like Us. I am your host, Aliza Kelly, and I am here today with Danielle Robay, a Capricorn sun, a Capricorn moon, a Virgo rising. All of our listeners who are in the know are going to be like, ooh, a, a new moon baby. How exciting. But Danielle, you are finding this information out for maybe the first time or close to the first time. So we are going to have to unpack some of this together. You guys may know Danielle because she is an amazing host, journalist, interviewer. She has an amazing podcast called Pretty Smart. I'm going to read your bio just so everybody could get acclimated. Danielle Robay is a TV host and journalist, currently a correspondent for IMDb and NBC for LA. And creator of the video project, Pretty Smart. You have seen her on HLN's Dr. Drew E! Extra, Entertainment Tonight Online, The Steve Harvey Show, fellow Capricorn, and NBC's First Look and Defy Media, where her daily news segments and interviews received over 100 million views a month online. In 2016, she was named co-host of WCIU's Chicago-based two-hour live morning news program, making her the youngest morning TV host in Chicago's history. With a loyal social media following of over 300,000 followers, she's chatted with everyone from Taylor Swift and Michael B. Jordan to Helen Mirren and Tom Hanks. Even Larry King has commented on her compelling interview style. Quote, Danielle has the ability to make people feel seen. Now for our brand new, uh, well, actually nobody will know this. This is new information for everybody is that this is our second attempt (laughs) at recording an interview for stars like us. We attempted this way back in 2019 in Los Angeles when I was a traveling podcast troubadour with all of my like clunky equipment with no ability or awareness of how to use it, of, of what a mixer was. Uh, and fortunately, the technology has improved since then. And we are able to get Danielle back on our show. So thank you for being here for a second time. Hopefully this time we will actually get a recording uh, and not a corrupt file out of it. Well, it says <laughs> recording on my end, so I think we're good. But also to your credit, you were a first mover in the podcast space. So you were kind of figuring it out before other people had it figured out. 
<laughs> well, I also, you know, I, it was a valiant attempt, you know, I was taking thing, I was taking equipment that was not meant to be mobile mm. and I had it mobile. I was trying to bring studio equipment around with me, which is cool, but also turned out to not work. <laughs> so for any listeners who are thinking of doing that, my uh, strong recommendation is do not. Yeah. Do well, not you live and it. you learn. Danielle, thank you for being here. I do remember from having the the incredible pleasure of interviewing you and being with you a few years ago that Larry King knows what he's talking about, Aww. that you truly are a, an incredible spirit. You do make people feel very seen. I remember being, I remember interviewing you a few years ago and being like, wait, who's doing the interviewing here? <laughs> because you have such good questions. You are so curious. You are so thoughtful, but I would love for our listeners to get to know you beyond this bio. So Absolutely. tell us a little bit about yourself and your background and how you got to be where you are today. First of all, thank you. That was so kind. I was born and raised in Chicago. So for anybody who's listening and not watching, I have my Chicago ones in my background. I'm a big sneakerhead, uh, <laughs> And that's an ode to my city. So I have been curious since I was born. Like when everybody would play at the park, I would sit with the adults. I would sit on my mom's leg and want to hear all the stories from her friends. And I would ask questions. And then when I was in high school, when everybody was talking about like, you know, their juicy sweatpants, I was asking really deep questions. And at that point, I think maybe it wasn't so cool. You know, like, I think it maybe was hard to be my friend <laughs> because they're like, can we just like go out on a Friday night? But later in life, you know, it served me because I went into journalism. I went to UW-Madison. I was a political science and journalism major. And uh, I started working at local news stations and then moved to LA and moved into a garage, which uh, was less than lovely. However, I was so excited to be in Los Angeles and I had never lived by palm trees in my life. So I would wake up in this really like gross garage and walk outside <laughs> all day because I was just looking around like, oh my God, I can't believe I'm here. And when I moved to LA, I wanted to do entertainment news. So I wanted to be the next Juliana Rancic and I would send my newsreel out from college and nobody would reply to me. And finally, I found this guy who was doing red carpets who let me host for him uh, for free for a few weeks. And I put a new reel together and nobody would reply to me again. And so I started sending people cookies and bamboo plants. <laughs> bamboo plant is specific were the cookies as specific as the plant so i had no money and the cookies were a place that i felt like was reputable enough that like people wouldn't be freaked out that i sent them cookies but also cheap enough that i could afford it <laughs> and the bamboo plant i always sent a bamboo because flowers die and the bamboo stays for a long time and so it's sitting on somebody's desk and they remember you very clever i guess I mean, <laughs> I would write notes and just say, you know, if your host drops out last minute or you need anything, I would love to be considered. And people would email me and be like, okay, Danielle, like we don't, they, we don't have any positions open, but thanks for thinking of us. And then a few months later, one day, this online outlet called and said, our host is sick. She called out last minute. Can you fill in? So I rush over. It was for X Factor. It was a red carpet. I rush over. Simon Cowell gave me an exclusive that night. And I got my first job. So they started hiring me to do red carpets. And then 
without boring everybody. The rest is sort of history. I went, you know, from one company to another. So I worked at Clever TV and we did like original shows and uh, a bunch of social like YouTube, Instagram stuff. And then went to Entertainment Tonight Online. I did a morning show in Chicago and then came back to LA and started doing IMDb and NBC. And then I launched my baby pretty smart. So that has turned into, which we can talk about later, but I launched my first product yesterday. Oh my gosh. Thanks. Mazel tov. Thank you, Aliza. It's uh, called Question Everything, 52 cards for deeper conversations. I have to send them to you. Oh my gosh, please. Wait, so so how do you use them? So I always say it's not a game. It's a game changer. So you can use them however you like, either with yourself, with friends at a dinner party. I've used them on dates before. I think they're like really fun to get to know your partner. I mean, we we love cards here. We love tarot cards. We love oracle cards. We love prompts. We love manifestations, affirmations. So our listeners here are definitely going to want to know, can we pull a card? Yeah, let's pull a card. I do it. You'll have to come on my pod. I do one every Here, You tell me when to stop. Stop. This is sort of spooky that you got this one. Let's see. I always think that people choose the one that they're meant to choose. It's weird. When have you felt the closest to magic in your life? Oh my God. Do they not all say things like that? None of that. That was, that's the only very spiritual one. Well, I say this thing called tank, which means there are no coincidences. So here we are, tank. So what is an example of a a non-magical one? So some are light and fun. Some are like, do plants thrive or die in your care? Because I think that says so much about, like they die in my care. (laughs) The one next to you looks like it's thriving. Oh, this is fake. Okay, perfect. Perfect. My mom says fake plants are bad juju, but I can't keep real ones alive. (laughs) So, uh, and then some are more reflective. So like one of my favorites is, um, what do you wish somebody could see about you that they don't see at first glance? Mm. Yeah. I, I played them with my dad. I've played them at bachelorette parties and they like really, they get the conversation going. It's so fun to gamify. It takes all the anxiety or like unease of starting a deep conversation. I love it. We're, we're going to have to put the link in this episode description because it's, this is perfect. So it seems like since the last time we spoke and yeah. over these three years, as you've continued to do the work that you've done, that you and and we talked about this in the in the last recording is like what drives you, mm-hmm. what propels those questions and that curiosity. And even though I know that you're not um, properly within the m- metaphysical mystical space there does seem to be a sort of a spiritual engine at play, or at least like a very deep psychological, reflective, emotional, um, a desire to really connect and understand people, which definitely to me feels unbelievably spiritual and meaningful. Thank you for saying that and seeing that in me. Speaking of tank, I love that. There are no coincidences. I'm going to start using that and citing you everywhere. Use it all the time. (laughs) But I was doing a red carpet and I was late and lost, which when you're new is not good. So I'm kind of like running around this parking a lot with my head, like a chicken with my head cut off. And I run into a videographer who's also lost because it was a hard spot to find. And we're looking for this red carpet. And all of a sudden he runs into somebody he knows coming outside of a gym. And this man who's probably about 60 years old, bald, is carrying a basketball. And he goes, Hey, Steve, what's up? And I start making jokes about Steve playing basketball, that he's too old to play. It's like the Chicago and me. I don't know what 
came, like that was so inappropriate. I don't know why that came out. But Steve and I started talking and I leave to go to the red carpet. And the videographer says to me, do you know who that is? That's the GM of NBC. And I said, oh my God. So I leave the red carpet. All I can think about is Steve. And I email him. And Steve is kind enough to take a meeting with me. And when I met with Steve, he he's he's Mormon and very religious. And I met with Steve and he said, there are no coincidences in life. And I believe that every meeting happens for a reason. It's just what you make of it. You know, maybe I meet Mm -hmm. somebody once and they sort of leave me and I never see them again. Or maybe I meet somebody and they become a staple in my life. And Steve ended up being, I thought he was going to be a professional mentor if I was lucky. He actually ended up being a personal mentor and totally changed my life. I was not very spiritual before I met him. And when I saw the way he treated people and the way he lived his life, it was based on what he could give instead of what he could get. And I saw the beauty, like he literally, he lights up a room. It's not because he's like, I mean, he is charismatic, but that it's not like a, like there's like ego charisma. Yeah, yeah, yeah. His is just like goodness. And it's so infectious. And I was like, I want that. And so Steve changed my life. And yeah, I, I like now read a ton of books and I'm really, I do consider myself spiritual. Well, it, I, I love the story that you shared because something that always, whenever I'm preparing to do something that is significant, you know, if I'm going to go and do a segment on like the Drew Barrymore show, or if I have something coming up, that's like a big deal. And I try to get into the right, I try to sort of get the right vibe to mm-hmm. step into that. And I'm going to have nerves and I'm going to have anxieties. Something I always keep top of mind is that when you make other people feel good, they want to be around you, mm-hmm. you know? And that obviously is going to change based on the situation. And obviously in like a traumatic or, you know, toxic environment that could be, you know, there's a, a double side to every point, you know, you don't want to rely on that in to appease a shitty relationship or a toxic work environment. But if you know when to turn that on and off, or how to work with that energy, the idea of, you know, how can you make other people enjoy being in your presence? Is it having them feel seen? Yes. Mm-hmm. It's allowing that person to be able to shine and to be themselves and to find their own confidence and radiance with while being with you. And then that person is going to want to keep being with you. So they're going to keep inviting you back. They're going to keep asking you to, you know, participate in whatever they're doing. But that feels very meaningful to me. You know, it feels meaningful on a spiritual level of how to move through the world. It's interesting you say that because I, for my job, I have conversations and I hope that they're meaningful conversations with people every day. And there's a moment it doesn't happen every interview, but there's a moment that I hope happens where it's like, I call it the light bulb and we're connecting. I feel it. Either I asked a question or they said something that just changed the energy of the room or the moment. And we, it's like this deep connection. It's an energy that you can't sort of explain. And that comes from just wanting to see somebody, wanting to understand them, being genuinely and sincerely interested. And so 
I, I think sometimes people can think that the idea of wanting to connect has like a personal gain. And I don't think it's strategic. It's more so full-hearted. It's about like wanting to truly understand people and, and have a moment instead of just let the moment pass you by. Yeah. And I think that it also is about humility mm. and it's about presence. Well you know, said. for me, it's it's really like it's it's humbling yourself to the gratitude of that opportunity. I'm I'm so grateful to have you back on the show, especially since we've already tried to do this once and the files got fucked up, you know, like so to have a second chance to have someone who I think is so meaningful and is doing such incredible work. And I know has a busy schedule, like that is such an honor, right? Like, so I'm, I'm humbled to have you back. And I also want to be as present as I possibly can through the duration of this time that we have together, because it's important. I feel a reverence for this opportunity. Actually, I'm recalling our conversation from three years ago, and I'm recalling sort of like what it takes to ask good questions. Mm -hmm. And I think that it, you know, without time traveling here, I think I remember you speaking to the type of presence and, um, and how sort of like embodied you need to be as a journalist to be there with someone and to participate. I don't know if you recall that, but if you could speak to that, I would love to. I would love to touch on that in this episode. I do recall that. Yeah, I think, I mean, it's interesting because half of it comes from my training. They teach you like in journalism classes that how and why questions are always more interesting than who, what, where. And so coming from that approach, so I, like just even the way you word things, I think matters, but from a more sort of connective perspective, it's about listening, right? Like, I think we all so often speak or listen, or like hear somebody to respond instead of like to hear somebody and listen to what they're saying. Mm -hmm. It's sort of human. And so you almost have to train your brain to listen because that's where presence comes from. But one of the things you said was so interesting to me. You said, I have reverence. And I'm wondering if you know where that comes from. Like, is that something that you've always had or did you have like a career moment or a or personal moment that shifted that for you? Well, I think that this is interesting because that that, that resonates with you. I think that this might be our, because uh, I'm a Capricorn rising and you're a double Capricorn here. So from an astrological perspective, I've always been very conscientious of time. I've always been very aware of how short a life is and that if I am going to do all of the things that I want to do, I have to maximize you know, how I use my time. Now, on a bad day, that, that ends up burning me out and looks like workaholism. But when that mindset is calibrated just right, it's about just being so fucking grateful on a moment-by-moment -moment basis. And not just going through the motions, but really taking every single opportunity and moment in so that mm. it is because it's this is what I'm asking for, you know, <laughs> like this is what I'm this is what it's all about. And you never get them back. You know, we're never going to get this hour back that we have together. We, this is a moment that we have to just really appreciate and respect in order for us to know 
to, to understand its value and significance. But I think so well from an astrological perspective, this is a very Capricornian thing because Capricorns are obsessed with time. So, yeah. So <laughs> I'm not surprised. Yeah. <laughs> That's so interesting. And I think you said that that was so well said. Well, first, before we get into some of the questions that our listeners have for you, I want to share with you um, something about your chart, since I know that this is, you're, you're not as familiar with it. I want to share two things. One, that you have uh, this Virgo rising, and two, that you have a Gemini midheaven. So your rising sign is your perspective on reality. Hmm. Um, it informs and shapes the patterns, themes, and events that continue to occur in your life. And it also illuminates sort of like your worldview, you know, like how do you see and experience your life? Your midheaven is your legacy, your reputation, how you're going to be remembered. It is what you build over the course of your entire life. Uh, It is more than just any single job or any even career. It's really like purpose. Both Virgo and Gemini, where you have your rising and midheaven respectively, are in signs that are ruled by Mercury. And Mercury is the planet of communication. So Mercury and dialogue and language and you know speaking and wow. listening uh, is sort of running the show of your entire reality and life. This is blowing my mind. On top of that, You also have Mercury in the sign of Capricorn and you are a Capricorn. You actually have this incredible Capricorn stellium. You have your Mercury in Capricorn, your Uranus in Capricorn, Neptune, Sun, Moon, and your Sun, Moon, Saturn, and your North Node all in Capricorn. But all of those are reporting to Saturn, uh, which is Kronos, which is time. And that is in your fifth house of creativity. So your creative, your creative expression through communication is your purpose. <laughs> it is your mission and you are living your purpose in doing the things that you do. And obviously you're still very young and you have a long life and a long career ahead of you. But I think that this, you know, knowing that Mercury and matters of the mind, communication, dialogue, uh, all of those mercurial things that are illuminated through that archetype are really running the show of your chart should definitely be an affirmation that you are on or a validation that you're on the right path and that you are going to continue to reap the rewards of this as you stay true to what your soul really, really wants. That's so cool to hear because you know, I, I feel like maybe you can relate when you're in any sort of creative industry, you, uh, at least I have moments of great uncertainty and I always think like, okay, as a backup, what else could I do? Could I be a lawyer? Could I be a therapist? And like, I can never actually jump and do anything else because I feel so deeply rooted in what I am doing. So to hear that feels really nice. It does feel like validation. Thank you. It, it definitely is, you know, it's it's totally and completely reflected in your chart. So I had to Crazy. share because it's so important. So I, I'm really excited because even though I, this podcast has been in existence for three years, I just started its own Instagram account, which listeners can find at starslikeus.pod. And every episode I'm I am going right to, now. or I guess... 
Uh, thank you so much. Uh, in anticipation for an upcoming interview with one of our amazing expert guests, I'm going to have a post. And on that post, I'm going to invite listeners to share questions. So I posted just a 24 hours ago, letting people know that I was going to have a journalist without revealing who it was on the show. And we got a bunch of questions, a bunch of fabulous questions. So I would love to ask you some of these. Please. The first one, which I thought was fabulous, is how do you keep your opinions from coloring the stories you cover? This has to be a struggle. That's such a great question, especially nowadays. I think uh, it's partly you're just trained to do it. Like, you know, we take classes in, in how to do it in school. However, I will say that one of the reasons it's so important to have a diverse newsroom, both in front of the camera and behind the camera, is that the people and their perspective do inform stories. And that's not necessarily opinion, but for instance, when you're doing a morning show, everybody wakes up and everybody on that entire team sends in stories that they think are interesting, that they want to chat about. And so the more diversity you have, the more the news and the stories reflects that. So yeah, I think it, it is reflective in a little, like in, in the way the story, like what makes news, I think, is really reflective in terms of sheer, sheer opinion you're just trained not to. And um, oftentimes shows or whatever program you're going on doesn't require your opinion. If it does, then you are a different kind of journalist. Like I think I share some of my opinions on Instagram sometimes. And so I probably won't be considered for hard news positions at like an MSNBC or like a network news place because I do share my opinions. That is a, it's, that's a great answer. And that's also really interesting that it's a combination of training and then also recognizing that that bias is inevitable. So to make sure that there is diversity in the voices that Mm -hmm. are contributing to the production of a show, um, not just in front of the camera, but also with the producers and the showrunners and the writers and everyone who is involved in the creation, that's really meaningful. And that's also like in gender, race, age, religion, uh, like literally any sort of group that's, that's diversity of thought. There's, I'll tell you like a cool, quick story. I wrote, I read a book called the difference and uh, this professor, I think at university of Michigan wrote it and they talk about smallpox and he makes a case for why diversity is important. And for years, nobody could figure out how to cure smallpox. They're like brilliant scientists. Everybody was trying to figure it out. The world, similar to COVID, the world was trying to figure out how to cure smallpox. No one could figure it out. And milkmaids who lived and worked on farms figured out that, I think it was, don't quote me on this, but cows were not getting it or certain people weren't getting it who were drinking this cow's milk. And so they realized like the milkmaid found the answer to smallpox. And it was like, she did not, he or she did not go to school for science or for anything, but having diversity of thought and experience is so important. Wow. That's wild. Yeah. 
That is incredible. Yes. And also, I, I love this example because it really, I think that it does, you know, this is something obviously as an astrologer that is of, of deep annoyance more than anything. It doesn't affect my day to day other than piss me off, which is like, you know, trying to apply the scientific method to astrology as mm. if that's the right tool to be using. So interesting. <laughs> it's not, you know, it's not. It's simply like there's no, the scientific method is amazing for science, but astrology is an interpretation. It's an art. It's a poeticism. It is a, it's more linked to archetypes and, you know, psychology and Jungian scholarship than it is to anything quantitative or qualitative that you would need to have metrics to be able to deduce, you know? So trying to run astrology through the scientific method is basically like trying to run a Picasso through like a, a medical board, you know, <laughs> like it's like, the, of course, the anatomy doesn't line right. up. It's not the point, you know, it's, it's irrelevant. And our inability on a collective level to recognize that not all of the same tools are going to be able to measure efficacy in the same way mm -hmm. to me is like a no brainer, but is also not something that is widely discussed and then becomes a, a, a deep annoyance from you know, for me, it's an annoyance, but for people who are really marginalized and their um, cultures and backgrounds and traditions are written off as superstition or as diminutive, it's more than just an annoyance. I mean, it's, it's an erasure. I think that the implications of diversity as it relates to like the value of things is, I, it can't, it cannot be emphasized enough. So everything you're so intellectual, everything you're saying is sort of blowing my mind. It's very cool. You have like a great left brain, right brain thing going on. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, you know, I have, I, we have a lot of similarities in our charts. So I feel like our charts can link up in this very nice, beautiful way. For instance, your rising sign is exactly my Mercury, but that's a conversation for another time. <laughs> I, another question, uh, which is, what was the best thing you did to get started in journalism mm -hmm. and any tips for someone just starting out and needs to build a portfolio? That is a great question because nowadays there's so many different paths that it feels really confusing. I get a lot of young journalists calling me about this. I would say the number one thing is internships. You're going to learn so much about what you like and don't like. And also those connections, those relationships that you make are invaluable. Like my first internship, I still talk to almost all those executives. They've written me letters of recommendation. They've connected me with people at the Today Show and other places because people that have been in TV have been in TV for years. You know, it's a very small but big community or big but small community. Um, so internships are truly the best thing and they're so fun and uh, so just rewarding. Yeah, I couldn't say that enough. And what about for someone who is doing, because another question that we have is, they say, I second the question for advice on how, moving into journalism, but what about changing a career? Yeah. Would you say to go back to school or how would you get your foot in the door? Maybe for someone who is a little bit older and someone who already has experience in another industry, 
or maybe hasn't found that industry, but isn't is in their late 20s or is in their 30s or even in their 40s and doesn't have the sort of flexibility to do an unpaid or low paid internship? That is also a great question. I would say if you are able to figure it out, regardless of what age you are, an internship is super, like even if you can do it two days a week, because the idea of TV and journalism is very different than it is in practice. And I would say make sure that it fulfills all of the sort of boxes that you're wanting to check. And it is really what you think it is. And if you feel like an internship's not possible for you, I would start low person on the totem pole, um, even, you know, getting, being somebody's assistant, being a production assistant, you know, PAs are hired right out of school. So there's like not a ton of qualifications. You can knock on doors and get a PA job and learn pretty quickly. I would say for journalism school, um, school's a lot of money. And so to me, this is just my opinion. I think it's more about on the job training. So if you can find a way to come up uh, at a network or at a station, I think you uh, would save a lot of money. (laughs) <laughs> which is really important. <laughs> yeah, really important. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you know, if you feel like once you get there for a year or two and you do need to go back to school to learn certain skills, then you know exactly what you're going back for. Right. Yeah. And to affirm this, um, I, before before the these new times we've been living in, I had the pleasure of connecting with uh, the amazing Vladimir Duthier, who is just an absolute dream. He has been a, a wonderful friend over these past few years. And without butchering his story, he switched his career um, into his adult life and into uh, broadcast journalism. And he also, I believe, pursued an internship route as well. So the best way. And that, and that was a switch that occurred I, either in his late 20s or into his 30s. I worked at a show um, and there was an intern who was 32 who she was, she wanted to switch careers and they hired her pretty quickly because, she, you know, when you're 32, you have a skill set that, you know, a 22 year old like me didn't have. Um, so she proved herself really quickly. They thought she was valuable. And then I think she's still working at the ABC station in Chicago now. Another question that came through was, what are some of the biggest challenges in your field? Job security. (laughs) (laughs) So there's a few different lanes. If you're working in local news, uh, you have a little bit more job security, but you're getting paid pretty low wages. You know, when people rag on news, I'm a, a defender of news in many ways, not so much the advertising machine behind it, because that needs to be amended. But in terms of journalists, like all the local journalists I know are not doing it for the money. It's like teachers, you know, like they are there because they believe in people, they believe in the power and importance of news. So yeah, it's long hours, it's low pay. You're, it's a It's a passion profession in many ways until you sort of hit it big, so to speak, if that's the dream. A lot of people really just want to come up the ranks in local news. And then it's sort of, I think no matter what like what lane you're in, the stability, the financial success, all of that is really delayed in journalism. Mm. So you see people having more success in their mid to late 30s and 40s. Um, so just prepare to eat a lot of oatmeal in your 20s. <laughs> 
Interesting. Yeah. I mean, and that's, I think that that's really important because in general, like, you know, I, obviously there are so many listeners to this podcast who are in their twenties and when you're in your twenties, you know, you have this sort of like monolith 30 Forbes, 30 under 30 pressure. Yeah. You know, you get to the other side of it and you're like, Oh, that really didn't matter at all. <laughs> like that was really unimportant. And, you know, from an astrological POV, that's the Saturn return that's going through the transformation of realizing like, Oh, wait, you know, I, I had no idea what the fuck I was doing for the last 10 years. And now I'm starting to feel a little bit more established and I know what I like and I know what I don't like. And all of those lessons and experiences have just sort of like fine tuned the direction. I I didn't need to reach the finish line by Mm. then. And in a way, thank God when you don't, you know, because you go through such radical changes in your in the end of your 20s and in the beginning of your 30s, that defining yourself based on that, uh, who you were at 26, isn't necessarily where you would want to stop the clock. But there are certain professions that just, you know, I would say that there are very few professions that we age out of by the time we get to 30. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe the traditional actor, model, athlete, singer, athlete. Yeah. Are there are a handful, but it seems like a lot of people have applied those same standards mm. to almost every profession, right? And we have to kind of undo that. Yeah. Recognizing that all of the shitty jobs and all of the investment and the time and the bad bosses and the disappointments, all of that isn't just something, all, all of that is what is it? The, the sum of the whole, the greater sum of the, the parts. parts. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Thank you. Whole. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And that starts to make more sense on the other side of Saturn return, but it's still a process as you move into your thirties, as you move into your forties and in most industries and in most careers, you're not going to get the accolades until you've put in a decade plus of work. I, I think our society too, um, and it's not really our fault necessarily, but we see like instant TikTok fame or influencers making all this money that feels like so easy versus like going to a nine to five every day. And there's all this instant gratification that whether we realize it or not, definitely seeps into our subconscious. And so, like you said, undoing that and recognizing that there's a lot of treasure in the long game. You just have to remind yourself of it. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. And exactly. There's treasure in the long game. And the power of the long game is the wisdom. You don't have the wisdom if you become successful overnight. You know, you simply don't. You're not going to make smart decision, business decisions. It's a miracle if you make smart business decisions, if you have overnight success. Yeah, I actually, I mean, we see that so much. Remember uh, LeBron James, when he went to Miami, he did that whole sort of like TV thing where he was like, I'm taking my talents to South Beach and everyone made fun of him and they thought it was like so self-aggrandizing. And it was like, it was a spectacle. (laughs) But on the flip side, he was a child star. Like he was basically famous in sixth grade. And so like, we don't really, I think, give people like that credit. He's done like, you know, a lot of good since, but it's very difficult to have wisdom and have like self-reflection when you're so young and it just happens like that. So yeah, I'm with you. Right. So now I'm going to ask the two questions I ask every guest on the show. Yeah. The first is how does magic show up in your life? 
So there is a quote that I have always lived by. I actually wrote it on my graduation hat. It's by Roald Dahl. And it says, those who don't believe in magic will never find it. And I think part of magic is just believing it exists and following it. So uh, magic shows up in my life nearly every day and mostly from people. It's sometimes people I know, it's sometimes strangers, but it is incredible kindness or a helping hand or a nice word that um, I know this sounds corny, but it makes me feel like grateful for my life and to be alive and grateful for connection. Uh, Not only was that not Courtney, but it almost just made me break down completely and start Mm -hmm. sobbing, which is one of the things that I try to avoid doing on this podcast as much as possible. But I am just a bleeding heart. And that touched the very, (laughs) the very epicenter of it. That is really beautiful. Follow up with what do you believe in? I believe in people. It's why I became a journalist. I believe that the power of the people is greater than the people in power. I believe in the goodness of people. So I do a segment about good news. And I meet people every day who like uplift others and they don't get anything in return. They just do it because it's good and it's the right thing to do. And yeah, I believe in people. And there's a reason that so many religious and spiritual traditions have giving embedded into the credo, you know, Interesting, because it's fulfillment. Like what are we doing being alive? Like what is a fulfilled life? A fulfilled life is one that is infused with a lot of courage, a lot of bravery, and a lot of giving, a lot of generosity. Uh, That I would say, you know, the fulfillment of being able to at that validates our existence. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's, that is why it is, you know, so many traditions have charitable work baked into their tenants is because it creates a sense of fulfillment um, that when we are just in our own microcosm of self is really, really hard to access. I'm curious to know your thoughts on this if we have a few minutes because yes, someone the other day asked me, how do you deal with negativity on Instagram? And I thought to myself, I'm not like, I don't have that many followers, so I may not be getting it in the way that other people are getting it. And I want to like be mindful of that. But when I do receive it, I actually don't care because there is so much goodness that it like, it doesn't even phase me. And I was thinking about how maybe you receive like where you put your energy and your thoughts and, and like if you're thinking about all the good stuff, the negativity doesn't really come to you as much. Is, that, is there something to that? I'm kind of rambling, but do you know what I mean? I think there is. You know, I, I have some sort of like personal theories on the collective consciousness responding to posts. Mm. I think that there is a feedback loop. I think that as people who live in the world of aspiration of like, wouldn't, don't you want to be me? 
they're, they are probably the most likely to receive a lot of negativity and hate on social media. Interesting. And in a way it is, I, it makes sense to me, you know, if you are creating and positioning yourself as this untouchable, like, and in whatever way it could be material, it could be career, but like, if the way that you, it could be body stuff, fashion, but if you're positioning yourself in this way of like, don't you want to be me? I think that you, those individuals are going to get a lot of pushback. Interesting. So it is sort of like the vibe you're putting out. Because people are going to hate follow them. They're going to hate follow. Right. You know? Yeah. Sentiment on social media yes. matters so much. Yes. I, I do think that that's true. And uh, I think that when people have, when there's an arrogance, when there is that sort of like, when that self-importance and it's, you know, how do you differentiate one selfie from another? But there's some, there is, there is an intention. There's an energetic intention. And I do think that the hive mind does, can feel it, you know, and that's not to say that everyone who is, that it's not being misdirected. I'm sure it is as certainly, you know, mob mentality is always misdirected, is always, you know, is never thinking logically and is always thinking irrationally and emotionally. But I do think that there is something to be said. What I have observed over the years is the people who seem to continue to have to deal with the most sort of like surges. It's like, well, those are, those are people who are sort of, there's a, a pompous, you know, there is this arrogance to the way that they are positioning themselves and people don't like that. You know, it's not, it's people aren't going to take well to it. That's so interesting. Yeah. Okay. Thanks. Yes. Cause I, I also don't have to deal with very much. I, I deal with weird, you know, comments from time to time that are mostly just referring to the work that I do as an astrologer. But I think that that kind of is par for the course, you know, that you're going to have a lot of like random, if it gets on the wrong person's feed, then they're going to be like, this is stupid, like waste of time. But it's like, that's not, it doesn't feel personal. Right. You know? Yeah. It's fascinating. Cause I, when, when you asked me that last question, I thought about like, is there a sort of feedback loop of you get what you give, but I think there is, but it's a little simple. I think you made it more nuanced. I I see what you're saying, but I do think, I think that it does kind of work with that. You Mm -hmm. know, I think that if you are trying to get attention because you are approaching it, like the hot girl at the popular table, then you're also going to have to deal with all of the other people who weren't invited to that table, you know, because they're on the internet and they're pissed off that they weren't invited to that table. That's so well said. So now I would love to pull a tarot card for you. Please, 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 please. The way that my deck works best okay. and the only way it works, in fact, is if we have a question. I, the the random, like, let's pull a card and see what it says doesn't work because it gives us a nebulous response. It makes us all feel weird and murky. So what would be a question that you would like? And I can help you uh, fine tune the wording of this, but what is a question that we could, that you would like to ask with a single card? So my word for 2022 is open-hearted. I love that because it's it's a hyphenated word. Yeah, <laughs> two words, <laughs> one word. <laughs> I can work with you on the hyphen, yes. <laughs> I'm wondering if 
I am being closed off. Ooh, I wonder if I'm being open-hearted. Is there a better way to word that? So your sort of like statement coming into 2022 is open-heartedness. And you want to know if at this, at the time of this recording, have you been implementing it? Is Or it, are you practicing it? Or maybe I'm not getting it right what you're asking. Is that right? Or No, I let- think it is, but I think I should be more specific. Okay. How about this? Is it okay that I am 31 and I am not really focused on my romantic life? I'm focused on my work. Life. Okay. It's not a, that's not an, a tarot question, but I'm going to tell you this instead. I'm going to tell you that this is a really, really, really great year for romance for you. Oh, astrologically. Cool. Because you have Jupiter just went into your seventh house of partnership. This could manifest as a really good contract for work, or it could also manifest as a really good romantic alignment. How cool. And it could also be both, but I would, I would indulge all of the opportunities of this. It's really special and it only happens every 12 years. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So then let me thank you for sharing that. What's a, what's an interesting question I can ask? What do you think? Well, do you genuinely not want, I mean, feel confused. Do you not want to date right now? Not really. Really, really? And I feel like I should. Okay. Then I have a question. Okay. I would like to know why. Oh, that's great. The why, because you just took me to journalism school. The why is always the most interesting (laughs) question. Okay. Why do I not want to date right now? Yeah, let's do that. Because I'm now I'm that's I'm I'm confused and I'm curious. Me too. Okay. Oh, Danielle. (laughs) Um, Okay. Do you want me to work with pile one, two, or three? One. Excellent choice. All right. So why are we not Mm. interested in dating right now? Fascinating. Let us see. Okay. Two of wands. This card is very much about the beginning of a new adventure. And as you can see, this figure has the whole world in his hand and is looking out onto the horizons. And, you know, the energy around this is like planning a new trip, planning, you know, having big um, discovery aspirations. So what this says to me is that you don't know where you want to be yet. You don't know where you, you know, there's, you don't want to close yourself off to the opportunities and potentially romantically, if you make a commitment now, it would keep you stuck where you are. And there's a fear of being tied down that would prevent you from being able to seize whatever that motion and that new direction is. That is so good. But it's still not, I don't feel satisfied with this. Really? That really resonated. I mean, I'm sure it does, but like, I don't know. I I guess the reason I don't feel satisfied is like, okay, now what? You know, or, or maybe how will you know that you get that opportunity, you know? And how do you know if that might be the reason that you don't, that you're not like leading with wanting to date right now, Mm -hmm. but how do you know that the right person is going to prevent you from 
being able to receive the opportunity. Right. Maybe that person leads me to an opportunity. Right. Or, and just like frees up energy. Yeah. uh, And inspires you in different ways. I mean, for me, so, so much of my professional trajectory, I attribute to my partner because he, yeah, because I stopped having to worry about being too weird for people, for men. So then once that was taken care of, I was able to just embrace and become my full witchy magical self, you know? So cool. It is. But, you know, relationships are really healing in that way. Yeah. So I have, so I want to ask, I don't usually do this, but because I am now personally invested in the story, I want to ask another question. Okay. Which more or less should be like, do you have a question? Because I have one sort of percolating, but I think maybe if you have one, it would be more important. Well, I wonder if there's, what is a way or how can I get clearer on what I'm wanting? That's kind of what my question is too, is sort of like, what is going to help integrate your desire to continue to expand and to not be held back, but also with keeping you know, an openness and a receptivity mm-hmm. to the right person to come through. I like that. Does that feel good? Mm-hmm. Like how, what's an energy that's going to keep it open and not shut you off Yeah, from receiving? Okay, cool. Oh my God. Okay. So we pulled the, uh, oh the three God. of swords. <laughs> no, no, no. This makes sense. This makes sense. Oh, Lisa, that's amazing. <laughs> without over exposing you on this podcast, it seems like you had a heartbreak. Mm, I did. Yeah. Yeah. Big heartbreak. Oh, baby. No, it's okay. It. No, no. I actually feel grateful for it in a weird way. You should. And that's what this card says too. Yeah. But this card says to really allow yourself to nourish and take mm. care of that heartbreak. Um, and to allow yourself, you know, to not be afraid of getting your heart broken again, you know, to find somehow the ability to say that's okay. And I came out and I'm still alive and I'm still strong and I'm not hardened. And my heart is still capable of, of receiving love, even though it was, it had been hurt. Yeah. Mm. Thank you. You're so gentle with me. I appreciate you. I think that that's where the answer is. I think that what closed you off was the heartbreak and it made it feel very much sort of this or that. Mm-hmm. It made it feel polarized, you know, where in order for you to have all of the things that you're excited to achieve professionally yeah. uh, and in your personal life, that there was no room for love because of the heartbreak. But it really is just the heartbreak that is what the block is, you know. But this is very tank, you know, open heartedness as your 2022 statement. And then we're pulling the three of swords and can't make this shit up. All right. You gave me such a gift. Thank you. Thank you. You gave us a gift. Where can we find you and connect with you? And where can we all check out this amazing new deck that you just created? Uh, I met Danielle Robay, R-O-B-A-Y everywhere, especially on Instagram. And the deck is also on my Instagram. It's called Question Everything. It's in the link. Yay. And I really want to send you one. So you have to send me your your delivery address. I will do that right now. Okay. Thank you so much. Thank you for your time. 